What does this mean? Martin Luther asked that question 500 years ago to help regular people connect to the Christian journey. In these days of Lent leading up to Easter, the church is inviting all of us to reconnect to the Word. In the next few minutes, the pastors of Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul will talk about some of the Bible lessons that we read in church during these holy days, connecting a 2,000-year-old book to real life in the 21st century. Welcome to What Does This Mean? I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. And I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. We got together and decided to do this podcast because sometimes the Bible makes a whole lot of sense and sometimes it's totally confusing. And we want you to know that we struggle with it too. So in the next few minutes, we're just going to struggle with these texts out loud with you and hope that these little conversations can help you understand a little bit more about the readings. We are already almost halfway through Lent, aren't we? These 40 days that lead up to Easter, if you want to count them out, they begin on Ash Wednesday and they go until the Thursday before Easter, which we call Maundy Thursday. And if you're going going to count them, leave out the Sundays from Ash Wednesday to Maundy Thursday – That's how you get the 40 days. And why don't we count the Sundays, Bradley? Because Sunday is always a day of the resurrection. So it's always a celebration on Sunday. And really, we can think of the whole season as a celebration. We sometimes have been taught that it's a very somber and serious and sad season as we contemplate Jesus' death or anticipate that. But honestly, we think of Lent as a time of growth. There's a sense of renewal and turning our lives over, letting the image of spring and new growth guide our spiritual growth during the season too. Well, why don't we take a look at the readings for the third Sunday in Lent? We're going to do this in three parts with just a little music between each of the reflections and in the space between the readings. Maybe take a few deep breaths and center yourself or take a break to do whatever you need to do. We'll be here when you get back. Pastor Bradley, you have the first reading. Why don't you give us a little background? Sure. So our first reading for the third Sunday in Lent is from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah is a little bit of a complicated book because it's long but probably had three different authors. It was written in a time when Judah – Judah is the name of the country. Jerusalem was the capital and the people of Israel lived in this country – was facing the Babylonians and the first part of the book is before they were conquered. The middle of the book is – after they've all been taken away in exile uh, to Babylon. And the third part of the book is nearing the end of their sojourn there in Babylon. So this is a time when they have literally lost everything. They lost the temple. They lost the king. They lost Jerusalem. And in a sense, they lost their identity and 
we're asking each other, has God abandoned us? We wouldn't be in this situation if God was still on our side. So they're really struggling with that question, which I think is really important to hear behind this text, because when you hear it, it'll sound outrageous. Pastor Lois, why don't you read the text for us? Our first reading for the third Sunday in Lent is Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 9. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, listen, so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thank you. So see what I mean. This is outrageous to people who have none of these things. They don't have enough to eat. They don't have their own houses to live in. And they can hardly imagine that the world would be streaming towards them as if they were the people to look to. But that's exactly the vision that God wants them to hold on to, that what you're seeing right in front of you, all of this scarcity, this loss, this disaster, is not the end of the story. It's like, okay, hold on. Remember, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. You don't see from the perspective that I see, but my promise to you is absolutely sure. Do not let go. I was thinking about this reading and just thinking about what it must have been like to be in exile for 70 years. Most of the people living in exile in Babylon never even knew what it was like to live in their promised land. And so that line in there, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? I sometimes think they were living their lives in Babylon. That was their new home. And they were spending their money on the things that they needed to get by, but they were still living under another ruler. And I love this idea that Isaiah is saying, you could be spending your money on things that really give life. You don't just need to give yourselves over to this foreign domination. And in our own world today, I think about what are the ways that we sort of 
just go along with the status quo even when we know it's not life-giving for us? And do we need God to say to us, why do you spend your money on these things that aren't giving you life? Yeah, I think this is a great Lenten question for to pose to everybody is why are you spending money on the things that don't satisfy you and in fact leave you craving more and more of the thing that doesn't satisfy you like this is the this is the addiction cycle that it doesn't do anything so you need more and um whether that's alcohol or sugar or love or you know whatever it is those things that we obsess about as if we we have to have this if we think our life is going to have depth and meaning for 2 weeks in uh, January and February I went on this detox diet where I had to I give I remember that. <laughs> I know. Um, where I basically had to give every give up everything I that I thought sweet. gave me life. It no was, wine or milk. <laughs> I no know wine. it was it was I gluten, sugar, alcohol, caffeine, caffeine, dairy, soy, peanuts, all of these things which going into it I could not imagine that I could build a life without those things. And truth be told, the first three days were awful, <laughs> were terrible. I just felt awful. But after that, I began to feel a real surge of energy and I started feeling better than I did before. But here's the thing that I think connects to this text is the craving went away. Mm-hmm. That I found that I could sit in the room of my beloved colleagues who were eating <laughs> our lunch pie that Pastor Javen brought to staff <laughs> meeting. Mm-hmm. I could sit with them and not feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to have that. I've got to have that. And so it's interesting by engaging the practice of giving these things up, over time, the desire for it changes. I so, bet the cravings come back just as quickly, though. That's what give you a piece of chocolate. <laughs> I was going to ask something more. Do you think that's part of the discipline of fasting of of Lent that we we hold back like you did for those two weeks? But the sense of saying, what are those things that I do do mindlessly? Um, do I hold back from that activity for two weeks or uh, 40, 40 days, days. Mm-hmm. and find the meaning of what God is really offering me. Yeah. Uh, You know, we think of fasting during Lent pretty superficially usually. It's like, okay, I'm going to give up chocolate or I'm going to give up, you know, whatever it is that really isn't too hard to give up. But I think fasting is actually the spiritual discipline for 21st century America because we are an overstuffed people. I mean, we can have pretty much anything we want any time of day and we experience no lack many of us i obviously not all the everyone we have a lot of people in our country who experience a lot of lack but for many of us we don't ever have to know that kind of emptiness and i think part of fasting is experiencing some kind of emptiness that makes us say i've got to go to a greater resource to find my strength and my courage 
to live. I think that's what Jesus means when he talks about looking to the poor. He's not saying poverty is a good thing. He's saying here are people who've had to push into and hold on to deeper resources than those who are wealthy have to. Right. And I don't think it's just that we are an overstuffed people. It's that we're overstuffed with all the wrong things. To bring it back to the reading, it's we stuff ourselves with these things that actually don't bring us life. And we sort of do it automatically. We should take a little break and then come back to the second reading. Welcome back. Our second reading for this Sunday is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. 1 Corinthians is Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Corinth is a city. Uh, So what Paul did was he was an apostle who traveled around starting churches in all these cities around um, the region. And um, there was no real precedent for what Christian community was supposed to look like. Imagine trying to figure out what it meant to be the church when there weren't any churches before you to model that for you. And so Paul would go around starting these churches, and then he would leave. And the churches would kind of muddle along, and eventually he would get word about what was going on in those churches. And sometimes Paul found it really great uh, and admirable, and sometimes Paul found it not so great. Paul is writing to the Corinthians here. Corinth was a really cosmopolitan city with lots of competing philosophies and theologies. And so there was a lot of opportunity for Christian theology, the sort of emerging Christian theology to get muddled with all sorts of different philosophies and theologies. And so Paul um, here is kind of offering a corrective to some of what he finds wrong. So, Pastor Bradley, would you read this for us? I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And do not complain, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing... Watch out that you do not fall. 
No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Thank you, Pastor Bradley. Paul starts here in this passage by kind of recounting the exodus and the leaving slavery in Egypt and making their way into the promised land. And then Paul reminds the Corinthians, don't forget that after God freed them and they were making their way through the wilderness to the promised land, many of them became disobedient and unfaithful and God punished them. Um, as if to remind them, don't think that just because you're God's chosen people that you can do no wrong. And actually, that verse 12, I think, is one of the key verses here. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. As I think about this reading for today, I was so I've been reading this book, Evicted, which is it's, it was a Pulitzer Prize winner a couple of years ago. It's all about poverty in Milwaukee and specifically around housing and people facing eviction. As I've been reading the stories of these people, I find myself constantly making judgments about them. Like, why did you make such poor choices with your money? Why did you give yourself over to that addiction? Why did you have seven kids? Why did, you know, I, I find myself being very judgmental as though um, it was completely their fault and I have no responsibility for this and as though mental illness doesn't have anything to do with any of this or systemic racism and all sorts of things built into our society that actually create a lot of the conditions for the problems that people are facing. But I find it much easier to pass judgment on other people so that I can sort of exonerate myself and absolve myself of responsibility. And it's a helpful corrective to me to hear. So if you think you are standing, <laughs> be careful that you do not fall. Yeah, the people that are so certain about their moral standing or their Christian belief, um, and this includes all of us, whenever mm -hmm. we're so certain is when we are most at risk of of mistaking what it's all really about. And then the next part is also really important. God is faithful and God will not let you be tested beyond your strength. This idea that, okay, so yes, we're all going to endure these same temptations, but God doesn't just throw us off and leave us alone. God is actually faithful and shows us a way through it. That's how this passage ends. God will also provide the way out so that you will be able to endure it. I struggle with that part, though, because you hear people say, oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. <laughs> right. And we know that people are facing incredible stress and incredible challenges or the people that are described in that book. But many of us know friends or family members who are really in situations that just seem so dire and hard. And I think they, they hear this and think, oh, well, God is supposed to have been faithful to me, so I'm going to have to somehow muddle through this. And right. it's hard. I think that's a hard passage. No, it is. I, I agree. And the part I struggle with in this, too, is the kind of sense here that God has provided this testing, right. that God lays this out 
for us. And I think a lot of people think that way about God, but I really resist that notion that the test is what God leads us into. I mean, part of the Lord's Prayer is lead us not into temptation. We're asking God to help us avoid that. So it's hard to imagine that on the other hand, God's putting us right in these difficult situations to see how we come through. I also think sometimes it's really helpful for someone to say to you, you know, you got this. You can do this. And it takes this outside voice saying to you, you have strength inside of you that you don't even know you have. I remember when my father was diagnosed with cancer. He had just retired. Same week he retired, gets the diagnosis of kidney cancer with a terminal, stage four terminal. And he he lived for, for three months. And I was traveling when the family called with that news. And I can remember in the phone booth, it was, there were phone booths back then, <laughs> um, sobbing and thinking, how, what do I do? How do I go through this? And now I look back on that and I did get through it. I grew even through it. I found a strength that was deeper than I knew. And I think a lot of that came from the people around who walk through you during these days. The strength that God gives you isn't just something you have inside you, but it's inside these commun- this community of people who come up around you and carry you through mm. these kinds of times. Right. So for those of you who are listening who need that word right now, you got this. And we're here for you. Let's take a little break and then come back to the gospel reading. The gospel reading for this third Sunday is Luke 13, 1 through 9. It's an interesting part of Luke's gospel where something catastrophic has happened in their environment. They get some news. They pick up on some news. This is one of those overhearing stories. We're we're overhearing Jesus when he's talking to his disciples when something has been happening in the news or in the uh, community that they all know of, and we don't get to hear what it was, what happened there. And they report one of them, and then there's a second thing that Jesus refers to. Let's hear Pastor Javen read it and find out what's going on. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, 
but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those eighteen who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year, until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Thanks. So this relates a lot to the last conversation we were just having about um, are some people being treated differently or receiving more judgment because of something they've done? Were they more awful sinners than others? And that's why they got some punishment and that same question. We still have people asking and talking about that in our culture today, where you'll hear people say uh, some flood happens. Well, that's because of all the loose morals in America, or it's because they weren't paying attention to something. And we always try to blame someone. And Jesus cuts right through that and says, look, you know, you're going to talk about these things. Let me tell you. We we all face dangers around us. We all need to repent. This is something for all of us, not just something that some people are worse than others. This is a, a life situation for all of us. And then he tells this great story of the, the parable of the fig tree, which I love. I, I preached years ago on this, but um, compost happens that we need to put manure <laughs> around things. Pastor Bradley, when you were telling the story before of that that breakdown that you were sobbing in the phone booth and that sense of how am I going to get through this? I think God uses our brokenness, uses those times when we're really cut down and so um, raw that we need one another. It's as if I think God is using that pain and that sorrow and uh, working it into the soil of our lives and allowing something new to grow. And this is a, a perfect Lent text to say there's a lot of brokenness in the world, and it falls apart. God's uh, got judgment about some of it, and however it, it is broken away from us, some of that will end up nourishing us and nurturing new life and that sense of renewal and uh, the fig tree producing. When Robert Farrar Capon, who is a Episcopal priest and a writer, addresses this parable of the fig tree, he says that the manure that gets put around the fig tree is Jesus. It's mm. the crucifixion that gets laid around the roots of broken, unproductive life mm. and that it's his life buried into our muck into our crap um, is what then allows us to grow into new life. So there isn't going to be in this reading of Luke a next year when you come back and there's no fruit because the resurrection 
occurs and life begins again. Death gives way to life. So this parable of threat never comes true. That's beautiful. We're interested to hear what all of you think about these texts. So drop us a note at pastors at org. You can find out more about Gloria Day Lutheran Church at our website, org. Join us for worship on Sunday morning at 8.15 and 10.45, Sunday school at 9.30. And during Lent, we worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Know that as you go about your day, God is with you, God loves you, and God will give you the strength that you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.